This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome everybody, welcome all our Torah Anytime viewers. Tonight we're learning for the safe find of Reuven Tzvi ben Esther Bela, and also for Fashna Matashtobi Yaakov ben Chai Sarah, and Fashna Matu Yechezka ben Tila. Okay, so oh, everyone is invited to join us every Thursday at 8 p.m. at 1601 Quentin Road at the BJX location. All right. And, you know, like every time I get it right, there's a little party that goes inside my head. I'm like, you know, good job, you know. Yeah. Four women. Okay, I didn't get it right. Okay, that was a premature celebration. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, four women only. Okay, so tonight we are, um, we are continuing with the foundation of faith. Very sad, we're almost finished with the series. Or very exciting, depending if you don't like it. I don't know. Um, if you do, get out. I'm just kidding. No, but no, I'm just kidding. Okay, so uh, every Torah class, it should be very, very enjoyable regarding of the topic. Now, um, this is always a very interesting topic when you're dealing with Mashiach. People are, uh, you know, love the, the concept of Mashiach. I've always wondered, what is the reason that people love the concept of Mashiach? People love the concepts that, that are far-fetched, so like reincarnation, you know, like dreams, things that are like... You know, like, not the usual. But wh- why do people so much, like, like draw to these things? You ever thought about that? Like, w- when you think about it, there is, there, there is the, the marketing concept of everything and anything. Now, why would somebody purchase one product over another product? And why would that marketer pick that item to emphasize versus any I- other, you know, uh, nuance in that, in that particular item? I don't know if it's making sense for you, but, you know, this is, this is a thought process that I had. And... One of the thoughts that I had regarding Mashiach is why people are always very, um, you know, eager to hear more about it. It's because Mashiach is a time of, it's like a utopian type of society. It's a time where, like, everything's going to go away. And in our day and age, we're all dealing with, you know, troubling things, suffering, things that we just want to get rid of. So we think of, like, this is, this is an answer. Like, this is the answer. This is just, like, the end of all sorrows. There's also another answer, um, and that's six feet under, but that's not as fun as, as this one. And for some people, it's an option, unfortunately. But for, for the general population, this is the more better solution. So this is something that people are like, okay, this is what I wanted. But the question is, is this really what, what the purpose of Mashiach is for? Is it really the purpose that you're going to go and, you know, your neighbor who is a Nazi, because you know that he's a Nazi, because every time they block your drive, or whatever it is, right, to each one of their own. Like, you have their own thing about, like, that, oh, and it's going to come, the days are going to, I'm going to laugh. You know, and then you're preparing your evil laugh, and you're, I don't know what this is called, but this thingy, right? And you're sitting over there and be like, one day, the Amalek, who's sitting next to me, you know, is going to be destroyed, you know, like, and you're, <laughs> and you're like, and then Mashiach will come and be like, aha, Christianity, I told you, you are wrong, you know, like, and Islam, oh yeah, you want to take this outside? Be like, let's go, you know, so like, when you, when you think about the, the concept, like, is that really the purpose of Mashiach? Some people fight in an argument just to be right. You probably don't know anybody over here because whatever, like, you know, it rarely happens to human society and human nature. But people sometimes, some rare group of people tend to like to be right. And when all of a sudden, you know, they have opportunity to be right, they will cross any ocean, you know. They will split the ocean if it takes them to to show everybody that they are right. So is that really the reason why Wama Shiach? So we could go because we've been having secret conversations with people that don't believe and be like, aha, now you see? Now it's, you can see that it's true. That's not really the, re, the, the, the essence of Mashiach. So let's try to understand why it's the Mashiach. And more importantly, the fo- focus on, on tonight, the Zalat Hashem, is going to be, what's the whole idea with that, the anticipation of Mashiach? We have to yearn for Mashiach. We have to, we have to wait for its coming. Like, what, what's the concept of that? So before we begin, 
Um, we have to go, as we usually do when we speak about the 13 principles of faith, we have to speak about the, uh, do a quick recap on the first 12, or where are we up to? The first 11 that uh, we spoke about until now, because again, this is so fundamental. This is so important, so we have to really go through it, and I try to do this on purpose, to go every single time we do a new principles of faith, to go through the first, uh, you know, the first, uh, well, 11 to this day, on how much we have gone until uh, to date. So, the first principle of faith is that God exists. And, and today you're actually going to appreciate why we need all these principles of faith and why I keep on reviewing it. You'll see how slowly things are coming together. The first principle of faith is that God exists. Not only did God exist, God created everything. What does that mean, God created everything? Not like creation that we have in our day and age, when you take you know, a few items, you put it together, and be like, this is my creation. I mean, it's not your creation. You just played you know, object scramble, and you created a new item. We never create something new. We're just, we're just utilizing the elements that we have in our world, and we're putting things together that may or may have not been created before, and this is what we call a new creation. We copyright it, we go and we sell it, this is a, a new innovation. But nothing really is a new innovation because everything existed since the beginning of time. So what is, in, in a sense, when we're saying God is a creator, God is not a creator that put things that were already in existence. God is a creator that took things that were never in existence before. And he created it. Like imagine somebody could create a new element. That someone could create a new item that never existed. The, the whole power force behind it never existed. That is what God, uh, that, is the first, that, that is the first principle of faith. Now, in addition to that, to that they call it 1B. Uh, it's really 1. We split it to 1A and 1B. So God is a creator, but God is also a mani. God is someone who oversees everything. A very, very, very important principle in, in Judaism. That not only God was the creator of the world, but God oversees everything. Every single thing. If you think a stalkerish situation, you think of at like a times a billion. Like every single thing that you do, that you think, that you say, that you want to do, that you want to think, that you want to say, everything, God knows everything, and God sees everything. That's number one. Second principle of faith is that God is only one. What does that mean that is only one? That everything that we have, anything that we have in our day and age, whether it's emotional, physical, intellectual, spiritual, everything is all from God. Meaning that you're that your good, the bad, and the ugly all comes from God. The same way that you go and you say, God, why do you do this for the, for the bad? The same way God gave you all that good. It has nothing to do with your hard work. It has nothing to do with all the effort that you put in. At the end of the day, everything comes from God. That's number, that's number two. Number three is that God does not have a goof. God does, is, does not have a body. Not only does God not have a body, we also spoke about this at length, that God is also neither physical nor spiritual. God, spirituality is also a creation in itself. That is a little bit more advanced. But in, in, the, in the basic understanding of it, God is not physical. Any physical attributes that we speak about God is only in a standard that we could human beings understand. So we say that God stands, walks, points, this, strong hand. Has, God doesn't have a strong finger. God, God doesn't have a strong hand. God is not physical at all. But rather, this is in the way that we could understand it. This is because of the way that God's done. That's why the Torah spoke about it that way. That was the third principle. The fourth principle is that God is first and God is last. Very, very difficult principle to comprehend. Like, because this is a thought that we cannot comprehend. Like, what existed before the world? What existed before time and matter? Uh, we can't. What, what do you think about when you think about that? Black. But black is also a, uh, um, you know, a creation in itself. Like, what's nothing? People think that nothing, you know, is, is you know, the, when, you, when you think about it, if you, if you say, okay, think about nothing, absolutely nothing, the first usually thought, thing that pops in your mind is usually black. It's not white. It's not Caucasian, African, whatever. It's, it, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's black. Now, why is it that black is the first thing that we think about when we think about nothing? Because you could have a lot. 
like a huge mansion, you think. But if it's black and you can't see it, you can't visualize it, all of a sudden it's nothing. That's why it's also very interesting that the Gemara tells us that an Ani is, is, is considered as if he's dead. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, a poor person. Right? I probably should explain that. Right? A poor person is considered as if he's dead. If he doesn't have anything. But not only that, it's also a blind person. A blind person is also considered as if he's dead. Because he can't see anything, he can't appreciate it. There's so much that we have to appreciate with our sight. Now, when we're thinking about that God is first and God is last, it, it, we, cannot, un, we cannot understand, we cannot comprehend what existed before and what will exist after everything. This is something beyond our comprehension. However, what we need to know is that God was before everything and God will be after everything. That's the, the farthest that our human brain can comprehend. More than that, we start asking questions that doesn't make sense because we don't understand something. So, but, but the basic understanding is that God was before everything and God will be after everything. That is number four. Number five is that the only being that one can pray to is to God. Nothing else. Not only that you could only pray to God, there is no such thing as an intermediary. You don't need an intermediary to connect to God. So Christianity, for example, there's a JC that is an intermediary or it's God, whatever, no one knows. Right? But the question, you know, there is something. There, unfortunately, there's certain very, very small minority parts in Judaism that may or may not say that you have to connect to God through a certain rabbi. That is also 100% incorrect. Um, and even those people that say it, it's not the group, it's just a small minority in that group. But in any case, the only person that we, the only being, I'm sorry, that we have to, to pray to is only to God. And God has the capabilities of doing everything and anything. Even if, if what appears to you as, as if there is nothing left. Does anybody hear that? Huh? So it's not, you hear the demons, right? Okay, fine. So, okay, I was just, okay. So, um, anyways, moving along, right? So, what? Is that the rain? Did it not sound like voices? Is it just me? Alright, so I'm alright. Okay, fine. So, um, alright. So, as long as they're telling you not to not hurt anybody, I was a little bit of negative, uh, you know, going there, then we're okay. But in any case, so now the, um, the only one, that, right, so the only one to pray to is only to God, and God has the capabilities of doing anything and everything. Meaning that even if you think that something is impossible, God has the capabilities of doing that. And you can pray for the impossible. You can pray for something that is so far-fetched that you would never think, you know, I mean, obviously don't pray that you'll rule the world, you know, like, you know, because then I would direct you to some medical attention if that's what your aspirations are. But, um, you know, what, what, I, what I mean is that you can pray for anything, is that people think that they're a lost cause. Very common, uh, you know, that, you know, nowadays in age, people think that, you know, they're, they're doomed for like a life of like depression, and sadness, anxiety. Like, it just, it's just like, this is what my life is going to be. You could pray to God to get you out of any situation. No matter how disastrous, how terrible, how bleak this situation seems, God is able to, to, prayer is able to get you out of that, and that is through the help of God, and God is capable of anything. Okay. That is number five. Number six. Number six is that all the, the words of the prophets are true. All the true prophets of what they said is true. Should probably add that in, right? So um, re- one of the reasons why this is so fundamental is because the way that we could connect between us and God, meaning that we could understand what God wants, is through prophecy. So God gave us a Torah through prophecy. We have the uh, the, the foundation of Judaism is in, in essence through through prophecy. That is number six. Number seven is that Moshe Rabbeinu was the father of all the prophets. He is the Avlin of him. He, you know, the the Torah speaks on Pel Pel de Belbo. I'm Moshe and Hashem, they were able to speak mouth to mouth. They were able to speak on a higher level than all other prophets. The eighth principle is that everything that Moshe gave 
that all the Torah that Moshe gave us today is the same Torah that we have today is the same Torah that Moshe gave us back then. Meaning that the same shofar that you blow, the same lulav that you shake, the same sukkah, the, the same everything is exactly the same. Now like how, how unfortunately I've come across so many people who think this so wrongly and there's absolutely no proof for it that the Torah evolved over time. The Torah did not evolve over time. The Torah as we know it today was exactly the same Torah that it was 3,300 years ago. It was exactly the same. It did not change one iota, one bit. Yes, there are different customs. Yeah, okay, customs, something else. The 613 commandments remained exactly... Let me repeat that. In case you aren't clear. The 613 commandments remained exactly... What's another word for... Anybody here speak another language? What's another, what's another, langu- what's another word for exactly... Dorshna? No. Yeah, no one speaks Russian. Everyone knows. Yeah. Dorshna, right? It's Toshna. 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 Okay, I'm sure there's a backwards R and an X in the side there. The 613 commandments are Toshna to the way that it was before. Whatever that means, you know, take it into your right? Right? You gotta, sp- the way that I learned about Russian is that you have to speak as if you're eating peanut butter. And that's the way that they speak. So, um, in any case, almost went off topic, but I caught myself. Okay, so now, um, the, okay, same Torah. Okay, number nine is that the Torah is never going to be changed. Meaning that the Torah that we got, not only is exactly the same, but it will never, ever, 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 I don't have a watch, but pretend I do, ever, ever, ever change. The Torah is going to remain exactly the same. Who does this, you know, exclude? The Christians and Muslims and everybody else in between them, right? Or anybody else that says, even the reform, the conservative, to say like, oh no, the Torah, now we're modernizing it. The Torah is never going to change. It's one of the fundamental principles of faith. This is why I don't understand how reform can go and claim what they claim. That, or conservative, or anybody else, or reconstruction. How can they say that, oh yeah, this is no longer applicable because X, Y, Z. But the Torah is, is never, one of the fundamental, one of the, the foundations of Judaism, one of the foundations of the 613 commandments, the foundations of the Torah, is that the Torah is never going to change. And you claim you believe in the Torah, but yet you're changing everything. Like, where is the logic behind that? How does somebody go and say yes to one thing, and then say, completely contradict exactly what they're saying, and say, yeah, everything's okay. Everything, uh, don't worry about what I said before. It's, you know, we don't understand it, we do understand it, we're making up new things. People go and they, they convince themselves that something that is right. Meanwhile, it's so simple. It's so blatantly out there. You don't have to dig far. You don't have to go like deep into like Kabbalistic understanding to realize that no, the Torah is never going to change. And that is it. There's no, there's no, uh, this is the foundation, meaning that a convert wants to join Judaism. One of the first things they learn is this. What I don't understand is, so people convert to reform usually when they can't get through like, you know, orthodox conversion and be like, all right, you know, and next next thing, which by the way, reform conversion means absolutely nothing. So people go and they, and they, you know, convert. They have to, I mean, I would assume that they have to learn something. Maybe they don't. Maybe they just have to pay the fee and that's it, uh, which I, to be honest, in a, in a very sad way, I wouldn't be surprised. But if you have to learn something, one of the first things that they would tell you is, learn the 13 principles of faith. Learn what Judaism is about. So they learn over there and say the Torah will never be changed. And then they, you know, they go and they say to the rabbi or the woman or whatever that's converting them and say, oh, uh, why is it that uh, we don't have to keep Shabbat anymore or kosher or anything else? <laughs> no, that was then. Now is now different situation. Like, is someone not smart enough to say like, wait a minute. Like, are you changing the Torah? <laughs> no, 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 no. We don't change the Torah. It's... Just a different understanding of the Torah. It's a different, you know, comprehension of it. So, like, when you, when we see things, and this is really gonna come into play later, what we're gonna speak about, how you can see something, and then not see something at the same time. 
And this, by the way, happens to us every single day of our lives. That we're going and we, we live, you know, where we live our life. And only afterwards we're like, how did I not see that? Like after living a long life, how did I not appreciate that? How did I not see this? I, I don't want to go into examples because I feel like I'm going to go into a rabbit hole over here. But if you could think about that concept for a second and take it on your, on your own, on your own level, that there's so many things that we go through life and we don't appreciate. We don't realize it. And only afterwards, whether it's gone, whether, you know, we're gone, whatever it is, there's a situation that all of a sudden we start realizing things a little bit differently. I think the same concept applies over here. Anyways, so let's move forward. So, uh, we did the ninth. And then the tenth principle is that God knows your deeds and your thoughts. Every deed, every action that you do, God knows. Every thought that you do, God knows. And this actually comes into play to the next one, that God rewards and punishment and punishes. Anything good that you do, you get rewarded for. Anything bad that you do, you're going to get punished for. And I mentioned this before, we gave a three-series class just on reward and punishment. But to understand this in the, in the most basic level, that... Don't fool yourself into thinking, okay, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be good because, you know, me and God are tight. You know, like, like we know, like, it's okay. Like, the, the worst thing is that people say, like, don't worry about it. Like, I could drive on Shabbat. Like, we have an understanding. Like, me and God have an understanding. I'm like, you might have an understanding, but two different understandings. Because you don't understand God, that's for sure. When somebody goes and fools themselves thinking that they understand God, and they know they can do whatever they want, God said straight out in the Torah, everything that you're going to do, you're going to get rewarded for, that if it's positive, if it's negative, you're going to get punished for There's an accountability that has to deal with all our actions. Whether you say whatever it is that you want, whether you convince yourself, right, going back to what we said before, whether you, you train yourself into like not worrying about it, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, if you're convincing it. If somebody's going through a trial and uh, they convince themselves, eh, everything's okay. I don't need a lawyer. I don't need this. Then guess what? After a certain point in time, you know, the trial is going to come. You're not going to be prepared and you're going to have to pay the price. As scary as that sounds, and if it doesn't sound scary, it should because it's very, very scary. Th- you know, that's the reality of things. That's the reality of things that we're in this world for a certain period of time. And afterwards, we're going to have to, we're going to have to have an accountability. Every single, can you imagine what that is? Every single thing that we did. Every single thing I did. The fact, by the way, that you guys came today here, you'll get rewarded for it. You're coming to a Torah class. The fact that everybody did not come to... No, I'm kidding. So um, the fact that you have you know, people that decided, you know what, I'm not interested in learning. But at least you're listening online. So may God bless you all. So uh, you know, the fact that you had people like, listen to a Torah class, there's something on YouTube that's very interesting. I don't know what's interesting on YouTube, but, but imagine something is, right? That's not Torah. Um... Uh, I can't even think of anything. That's how... Music? Music is... No, nah, music is not interesting. Cats. So, cats are interesting. Cats. <laughs> cats is a thing? Cat videos is a thing. Really? Cat videos is... I have a lot to say about that. You know what's something very interesting? Why is it that cat videos apparently are so popular? Like, why? When you think about it, why? Wouldn't dog videos be more popular? Yes. Who does more stuff? Cats or dogs? Dogs do more stuff. I don't know. If you live in Israel or in Brooklyn, I see more cats. I don't know. Maybe where I live. I think there's somebody near me that feeds a lot of cats. So I see a lot of cats. Um, in fact, sometimes I open the door and there's a cat just like sitting over there. Oh, but, oh. So... <laughs> That's because you might have a twisted neighbor who has a shotgun. Um, but when you think about when you think about the concept, this is very interesting. I never you know like realized that cats are such a, like an interesting topic. But when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. Dogs do a lot. Cats, if you know any, anybody who has cats, first of all, nobody has one cat, 
right? They have about like 70,000 cats, right? They have a herd of cats, right? You know, like they open the door and there's like, meow, there's like a choir of cats like going behind them. And they're like, and the fluffies, and uh, whatever, whatever other names of cats, I don't know, whatever they are, right? They're, people have a army of cats, right? So when you, when you, when you understand the concept of like cats, I never understood it because they do, they literally do nothing. They just like walk like uptight, you know, beings and be like, and it's like walk past by you, you know, like walk. a dog, you come home after, uh, you know, apparently this is the conversation for today, for today's class, right? So you walk, you come home, anybody who has a dog knows the second you come, the dog is waiting for you. Be like, oh, if he'll be able to speak, I'm so excited, I'm so happy you're here, let's go around. And then he chases himself a little bit, he jumps on you, you bring him outside, maybe he goes in his business. He's obsessed with you, he loves you, he wants to do anything, he does tricks, he'll roll up. Have you ever seen a cat do tricks? I don't know, if you have, maybe, okay, so that's what YouTube is for. So, really, you've seen a cat go to the toilet? I've seen every animal go to the toilet. What? Oh, you mean go in the toilet? In the toilet, oh, okay. So that is pretty impressive. But, uh, you know what it is? It reminds me of a story from the Ramban. Ramban. Ramban, right? Ramban, I don't know where I'm getting at you, but let's go, uh, let's go with it. Um, it's very late, we didn't even start. Uh, we literally didn't start. Okay. So, okay, but let's, 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 uh, we, uh, it's very important, this cat story is very important to the Rambam. So, somebody came in to, you know, um, to the Rambam, they were, you know, having like a little bit of a uh, debate of sorts, and they said that I could train a cat to be a waiter. He said, I could train a cat to be a waiter. Now, if you would say I could train a dog to be a waiter, or I could train a cat to be a waiter, I would say, I would pick, I would obviously pick the dog. You know, dogs are trainable, you say roll over, play dead whatever other things, fetch, that's not a game, that's what they like doing anyways. Uh, I don't know, whatever it is, but you think, don't, but he said, no, I could train a cat to be bad. The Ram says, you won't be able to. So, um, and I'm telling you this off memory, so my details might be a little bit off. But in any case, so, the, so there's someone that worked in it for a long, long time, and they were able to train, and you know, the Rambam, the, the, you know, the, the, the leader of that time were all sitting in front of them, and they were like, okay, you want to see? And they brought the cat in, and the cat walks on its hind legs, holding up a tray, of herring, whatever, I don't know. So they're holding up a tray, and they're walking, the cat is walking. And everyone's like, wow, look, the cat, he really trained the cat to be human-like, to be, to be a waiter. And the Rambam was observing this whole thing, and the Rambam reached into his pocket and took out a little mouse. And he let the mouse run. And the second that the cat saw the mouse, the cat threw the thing out, and then it ran straight to the mouse, and it started chasing out the mouse. And the Rambam goes and says that you can never train, the animal is an animal. And an animal, no matter how much you train it, it's never going to change who it is as a, as, a, as, a, as a cat. A cat chases a mouse, and that's it. No matter what you put to it, it's never going to change, you know, cha- you know uh, train into anything else other than what it is as a, as a cat. Now we think about it. So why, why are cats so popular, the video so popular? This is my thought process, I don't know, I may be wrong. But one of the reasons why people may, might, might be fascinated with cats would be the because you don't anticipate, you don't expect them to do anything. When you don't expect something, that, what's comedy? Comedy is something that you, they're going one way and suddenly they go in a completely different action, different way and that's funny. So you're saying a story a certain way and then you throw in a, like a crazy like, you know, s- situation and all of a sudden because it was unexpected, it, became, it can become comical. So a cat, what may be entertaining about a cat is that you would never anticipate a cat to do anything funny because a cat just does itself, it bathes itself, it does everything by itself. It's a very self-sufficient type of animal. It does, it's not like a dog, it doesn't, you don't need to walk a cat, even though that I've seen people walk a cat. And those people are definitely need some medication. <laughs> if anybody knows what I'm talking about, there's a certain 
person that walks a cat, and it's a he. You know what? We don't have to go through it with it. He may or may not dress as it. Okay, whatever. No. Why are we talking about cats? And, okay. Anyways, on the topic, so Mashiach, right? Unrelated. But let's speak about the topic at hand. So the Mashiach. So let's begin with the topic, okay? Introduction. Okay, finish. Okay, introduction is, is almost over. So... Cats and dogs, by the way, is a fascinating topic. You know, is it just me? As more I'm thinking about it, there's, there's a lot to learn from God's creations. Okay. Anyways, I believe with perfect faith. With the coming of Mashiach, even though it's going to tarry, even though it's going to delay. Wrong word, tarry is a better word, but think about it like it will extend, the time will extend. Regardless of when it's going to come, I'm going to anticipate it. I'm going to wait for it to come any, you know, for, for every single day. Now, we have to understand a very important concept over here. Why did this make it to the top 13? Like if you think, what's the, you know, the, thir- the principles, the foundations of Judaism? Would you put Mashiach waiting for Mashiach to come? Like why is that? Why does that make it to the top 13, to the foundations of Judaism that you have to know? And now you have to know, you have to anticipate that Mashiach is going to come. You ever thought about that? Why did it make it into that? It's a very good question. Sometimes when we're younger and we're, we're, we're taught certain things, we just, you know, accept it as fact. But look, when you start and stop for a second and think about it, like why? Even the, the, you know, the next, the next topic, which is going to be resurrection of the dead, like why did that also make it to the top 13? Like Mashiach and the resurrection, why is this so important? So I want to share with you something from Abshimshim uh, Pincus. That people think that, you know, Mashiach is very important in the future. In the future, Mashiach is going to, says what Shinshu Pikas, and it doesn't work that way. The, the idea, the concept of anticipating, of waiting, of having, of wanting the Mashiach to come, it's very important to this day. Now, why is it important today? Not tomorrow, not when Mashiach comes, which is Meretz Shem going to be tomorrow. It's, it's important right now. Now, why is it that knowing the Mashiach is going to come, anticipating the Mashiach is going to come, is very important to what we have as, a, as, as of right now? And the idea is as follows. The idea is that uh, when, when you think about what is Judaism, now, it's a whole topic we could get into. I'm not going to ask you what is Judaism. But the, one of the elemental you know, concepts of Judaism, it's, it's a covenant, it's a belief. It's a, it's a connection between us and God. It's a relationship between us and God, a relationship of, of love. Now, when, when you think of a covenant, when you think of something that's, that's a relationship, that, that's something when God says a brit olam. A brit olam is a covenant between us forever. Forever means forever. It's never going to stop. Now, now if God... Would God forbid ever say, you know, divorce the Jews, Jews, as what unfortunately, you know, the Christian things and the Islam, you know, the people think that that originally the Jews are right, but then we went off for whatever reason, and then the Christianity came, or then Islam came. That's really incorrect. Why is that? Why is that so incorrect to think about it? Because when you think, if if Judaism, if the Torah was based off a concept of like. Of a, of a temporary thing, like okay, if they do it good, if not, then we're going to find somebody else. That means it's not, it's no longer a brit olam. It's not a, no longer an everlasting covenant. It's something that's temporary. If something is temporary, then the whole Torah is is irrelevant. If the whole Torah was really meant to be something that's temporary, then really you could say Christianity could be correct, Islam could be correct, Reform could be correct, conservative because if it was temporary. But we know what the the, the Torah is not temporary. The Torah is non-changing, which is something that we spoke about before, which is why you realize why we had to go through that whole introduction, that the Torah is unchanging. The Torah is remaining exactly the same the way it was from the beginning of time till the end of time. So now, the the concept of, of this idea of Mashiach is really emphasizing on the covenant, meaning that the Brit, the, the, this, this covenant with, with God is that 
the Mashiach is going to come at the end of days, meaning that God will never ever forsake us. And no matter whatever will happen, at the end of days, Mashiach is going to come. There's no such thing as Mashiach is going to come for another religion, another you know society. It's going to come for it's a, the Jewish Messiah is going to be, and it's not Yeshu, it's not JC, it's not it's it's the true and real uh, you know Mashiach. Now, try to understand this as follows: Let's say there's a father, and a father throws out a son, and uh, there could be two reasons why the father throws out a son. Number one is to teach him. He wants to teach him a lesson, so he kicks him out. Number two, he wants to have nothing to do with him anymore. He's done with him, he, does, he doesn't care about him anymore. Now what's the difference over here? That if he is training his son, if the reason that he's kicking him out of his house is to train him, you're doing something wrong, you need to do something right, so it's a, this is based off a relationship. There's a relationship, I love you, I care about you, I don't want to throw you out forever. I want to throw you out temporarily. I want to throw you out temporarily so you realize you're doing something wrong. When you realize you're doing something wrong, you're going to fix your ways. When you fix your ways, then you're going to come back to the right path. I'm going to, I'm going to bring you back to my home. This does, it doesn't ring a bell. This is obviously what we're dealing with in the exile. This is what we're dealing with the destruction of the temple. So, that is one way that the father will throw out his son. But there's another way that a, God, that, that a father or God will throw out his son permanently. That means that I have nothing to do with you. I don't want anything to do with you forever and ever and ever. This is not based off a relationship. This is there's, there's no relationship over here. Now, what is the implication over here? Let, let's try to break this down. That if the whole Torah that was given on Har Sinai, Mount Sinai, was all temporary, that means there was never a relationship to begin with. Nobody gets married on the condition that the spouse is going to do X, Y, and Z for them. And if they don't do X, Y, and Z for them, I'm not talking about the like super related things. But I'm talking about let's say the you know the uh, a woman goes and decides that she's going to marry a husband. Why? Because he's going to support her. And even though that is part of the Ksuba, but he's going to go and he's going to support her um, in a way that she wants. That she's going to be a multi-billionaire. That's right. And she marries a multi-billionaire. Now let's say the guy loses all his money. But he's a perfect husband. He's no longer a multi-billionaire. Right? He's a regular simple person right now. Is that a reason to divorce somebody? No, it's not a reason. Do people do that? Maybe yes, maybe not, depending who you know. But... The, the, the essence of when you're going, if it's a true relationship, you don't divorce unless there's a reason to divorce. And if it's a real true relationship, you, you never divorce. Can you ever divorce a child? Have you ever heard a parent go to a child and be like, hey, listen, it's not you, it's me. You know, I've been thinking about it, we need to talk. You know, the baby's crying, wants a bottle or whatever, and be like, listen, you know, like, it's not working out. I think we should see other people. Like, it doesn't happen. You know, you never divorce a child because you can't. You can't divorce a child. The way that it goes with that God gave us a Torah on Mount Sinai, God gave us a a covenant, a covenant that lasts forever, meaning that we will never, ever, 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 ever be divorced from God. It just doesn't work that way. It's a father and son relationship. So it's a parent and child type of relationship. And if it would have been a, an ability, a fact, a possibility of a divorce, of a separation, that means it was never truly a covenant. It was never truly a relationship. It was something based off like, you do for me, I do for you. A partnership, you could say. So, the... When you're, when you're looking at Mashiach, Mashiach is the essence that God will never ever forsake us. Till the end of days, God will be there and God will take us out of our, you know, and there's going to be a redemption. Meaning that there is no such a, a, a thing that, okay, you messed up so bad and that's why you're done. No. There's always going to be a way of coming back. The, the, the concept here is so beautiful, so amazing, that you realize that no matter how far you fall, as a person, as a nation, as a group, there's always a way back. Because God is always there, always waiting for us. Now, when we're going, and we're thinking of, of you know, many people, and, and it's not wrong for them, but when you ask them what is the purpose of the world, they'll say reward and punishment. And it's true, it's based off the Torah sources. Meaning that if you go, and you want to... You wanna, um, 
get life in the next world, which is really the purpose of everything that everyone's really doing over here. So you want to live to Olam Haba, to Gan Eden, you want to get everything over there. How is the way to do that? You have to do the right things over here in this world, right? So if you do the things that you're supposed to do in this world, so then you're going to go into the next world with the right things. If you do good, we said before, you're going to get rewarded. If you do bad, you get punished. And people think this is the essence, this is really the purpose of this, of this, uh, um, of this world. And what is the reason? Why did God go and create the world that you have to earn your reward? And on the opposite end of things, you earn your punishment. Why? What is the purpose of that? Why didn't God just give us a punishment? So the sages tell us, that the, you know, the Alpikabala tells us that if we would go, and if we would get something for free, it would be something known as a bread of shame. We wouldn't appreciate it. If someone gives you a handout, you don't appreciate it as if you worked it for yourself. So if you have two ways of getting money, you know, getting it for free or getting it from, you know, through your own work, you will appreciate it if you work for it more than if you got it for free. So, is in a way to appreciate the next world, God said, I'm going to send you to this world, you're going to earn it, and once you earn it, then you'll be able to appreciate so much more the next world. Makes sense? You've heard this before? Very, very, uh, you know, uh, well-known concept. However, the Chavot Alavot tells us something very interesting. So that no matter how much good that we do, no matter how much stuff, we could have so many mitzvot, the amount of the sand of the earth, and the amount of the water in the sea, we could have all that mitzvot, nothing will be deserving even a tiny fraction of what God will pay us. You know, like, which means is that even if man would create so many good deeds, a single act of goodness from God can never, we can, it's not, it's not like, you know, tit for tat. It doesn't, and in fact, the Midrash in Vaikirabha goes and says that, you know, like, okay, you have a commandment to put a mezuzah in the house. Who gave you the house? God. Oh, okay, very good. You have a mezuzah to buy a lulav. Who gave you money to buy a lulav? God. So you have a mezuzah to wear a tzitzit for the men. Who gave you the money to buy the garment? Who gave you the garment? God. Who you have to separate in your fields, you have to separate path. Who gave you the field? God. So at the end of the day, it's like, what are you really getting at over here? It's like, think about it like this. Imagine you have a close friend who is a multi-billionaire. Right? I'm going by all of you that you should be that friend. Um, and then you should... Right, okay, fine. Okay, so now the... Um, he goes over to you, or she goes over to you, because you're a woman, right? Um, and you're kosher. So he goes over to you, uh, she goes over to you, I'm sorry. And uh, she says, um, I really want to give you, you know, like $10 million. And you're like, listen, you know, I'm so uncomfortable. I don't need, you know, like, no, please. You know, Some people be like, yeah, please, make it out to cash. Right? So I don't have to pay taxes on it. Not going to happen anyways, but whatever, not accountant over here. So, you, you, you know, the people be like, you know, you, you feel embarrassed taking $10 million. It'd be like, okay, listen. I know you'll feel embarrassed to take my money, so I'll tell you what I do. I, I need something done, and I'll pay you for it. Okay, I'll, you know, work for money. That's good. And then she goes and says, "You see that paper on the floor? Can you bring that to me?" And uh, say, "Yeah, sure." You know, you go, you bring the paper, and be like, "Wow, that is so amazing! Thank you so much. Here's ten million dollars for it." Are you going to be like, "Well, I earned it," you know, like technically I earned it? That's what's going on in the next world. Says the Chovot So you're like. You do a good deed, right? So you put a mezuzah on the house that God gave you. And be like, good job. I gave you something. They'd be like, really? So because you put a mezuzah, now you're going to get $10 billion, $10 trillion? Like, that's what you're getting? Really? So how is it? How is this not bread of shame? How is it? Do you ever think about this question? This is a fantastic question. This is a question we should all ask ourselves. So we're doing good deeds. Okay, great. God does so much more for us. And we'd be like, well, God, you owe me. You know, like, Came to class. I gave a dollar fifty. I worked for it exactly, right? And he makes us work hard for it. Depending, depending on your Amuna level. Some people have to work hard for things. Some people work less hard for things. But yeah, we we do. You know, 
we, we do think that, you know, it's it's that we we worked very difficult, very hard, and we made this. It's the biggest mistake a person can make in their life, thinking that you got whatever you got. You didn't get whatever you got because you worked for it. You got whatever you got because God gave that to you. To to such an extent that anything that you have in your life, whether it's your relationship, everything that you have, your health, it's not because you decided that you're going to eat kale every single day and you're going to eat carrots for breakfast and you're going to drink an orange smoothie, whatever it's called. What's it called? The juicer, right? You're going to juice your thing and you're only going to eat liquids for the next 20 years and that's why you're so healthy. No. You're so healthy because God made you healthy. Yes, you have an obligation to you have to go and guard yourself and eat healthy and do that but at the end of the day everything that happens is from God. So it's not like you're going to go and say, okay, listen God, you know, like, I can listen, I kept Shabbat. Oh, really? You, you, kept, you kept an enjoyable day where you could spend time with your family? with the money that I gave you and the house that I gave you and the family that I gave you and everything that I gave you and I told you to do it otherwise you're going to get punished and you did it, what do you want now? <laughs> you want the reward for it? You ever think about that? Like why? How is it not bread of shame? To understand this concept, it's a very important concept. In fact, it's so important that if you just came today to learn this concept, it was worth it that you came. Um, to the extent that if you leave after you understand this concept, you know, it was worth it for you to come today um, and, and leave whenever that is that you decide that you want to leave. When you think about that, how is it ever? We do, we do good, so we get reward. We do bad, so we get punished. But at the end of the day, nothing that we can do can comprehend, can come even close to the fact that we earn anything. So says the, you know, you know, says says the Chabad of the How is this ever coming close? How is this ever coming close to have reward and punishment? Where is the reward and punishment coming in? Says the because it's such an amazing concept, so beautiful that if somebody goes and the father goes. And gives you something. Do you feel, oh, you know, bread of shame? You know, I can't believe my father gave me this. I feel so embarrassed. Do you ever feel like that? Anybody ever feel like that? Hopefully not. Right? If, if, if somebody that you love gives you something, you'll be like, okay, fine. You know, like, you appreciate it. It's, it there's, no, there's no guilty feeling on it. There's no like, okay, you know. Like, imagine this, imagine this scenario. That um, a girl from a very poor family goes and marries a multi-billionaire. And the father-in-law gives her everything, gives her a mansion, gives her maids, gives her nannies. She doesn't do anything all day, which is people's dreams in America. Uh, and she just, is, she sits down over there, people feed her peeled grapes, you know, like there's somebody with a fan over her, a palm tree, or what is it called, like a palm leaf, whatever that's called, waving her, even though there's central. She just, you know, has somebody doing that just for like the kicks. And every day, her husband comes home with a bouquet of flowers and a pearl necklace. Um, and, you know, like she has everything that she ever wants. She's very appreciative, right? But it's her husband. It's her father-in-law. Like, is she feeling this is bread of shame? Is she embarrassed to take that? I'd be like, no, I'm family. You know, like, I'm family. You know, like, it's, it's all part of it. It's, it's all, you know, it's all relative to what we're dealing with. This is what it means to have a relationship with God. Now, let's try to understand this in a step-by-step process. In Genesis, in Bereshit chapter 18, verse 9, it says regarding Avraham, God says, I know him. What does it say, I know him? says Rashi. It means that there is a, an expression of love. And the, 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 you know, the, the Pasuk says in, chapter, in Genesis, in Balashi chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, it says, God tells Abraham, don't worry. He says, I'm your shield. You're going to have a tremendous amount of reward. And what did Abraham answer? Usually what you say, like, don't worry about it, I'll take care of you. You're like, oh, thanks God, I appreciate that. What did Abraham say? Abraham did not say that. Abraham said, Vayoma Abraham and Abraham says that you know Hashem Elokim says he says Matitani what are you going to give me he says I don't have any children what are you going to give me 
You're like, really? That's what you tell God? God tells you, I'll take care of you. You'll have plenty of reward. You'll be like, well, what? God can do anything. Like Abraham is saying, what are you going to give me? So why, why did Abraham say, why do you can give me? Because God informed Abraham, you can have a reward. And, you know, that's very nice and dandy, but reward is like, what do you mean? Does, does, does a father give a payment to a son? He says, I thought we had a relationship going on over here. What's reward and punishment doing over here? He says, this is a reward. He says, if you go to your wife and you say, or your husband, whatever it is. So like, a man goes to his wife and says, if you cook me a good meal, I'm going to reward you. And I'm going to give you something. Right? First of all, that guy's sleeping on his couch, if he ever says that. And he's not getting any good meal. But, hypothetically speaking, that's not a relationship. That's not a thing that says, okay, if you do that, that's not, that's not a loving relationship. If it's a payment, then it's not, then it's meaningless. Says, says Abraham to God, it says, I don't want payment from you, I want a relationship with you. If I have a relationship with you, then all of, it's no longer bread of shame. Why did God, why did Abraham tell, tell, tell God? He says, I want a child, I want a child that could go in your path, that could continue the way. I want to have this relationship that he could go into the covenant with you. He could go into the plea with you. I want, what I want is a relationship. I don't want the, the benefit of, of, you know, the, the concept of if I do good, you're gonna pay me good. Cause then, it's never going to relate to the concept to the, like I deserved it, I earned it. The only way to understand the concept that when you're going to get into heaven, you're going to deserve something that you get is if you build a relationship with God. That's what we hear in this world. We're here to build a relationship with God. That you love God, that you fear God, that you have this awareness of of God. That everything that you do is always about God. That's a relationship. When you build that relationship, then all of a sudden, even though you're getting reward, that makes absolutely no sense. It doesn't equal to the equation that what you did. However, all of a sudden, it doesn't matter. We're family. Once we're family, once we have a relationship, then everything is no longer bread of shame, and then all of a sudden, everything is worth it. So. This is the concept, this is the covenant of love. And this is why Mashiach is so fundamental to Judaism. This is so fundamental because this is builds our relationship. This is a relationship means that I will never ever get rid of you. That till the end of days, there's going to come a time when Mashiach is going to come and then it's going to be the redemption and it's going to be all on Haba. Because it's all about the relationship. It's all about between me and you. God, you, you and God, you connecting together like you've never connected before. You do things, that's why the highest level of serving God is, is serving God out of Ahava, out of love. Why is it serving God out of love more than out of fear? Because it's a relationship. When you go and you do something for your spouse, if you do something out of fear, it's not a good relationship. All right, you know, possibly borderline abusive, but if you want a really good relationship, that's you do something out of love. Once you do something out of love, there's no more. The concept of reward and punishment means a whole different level. So we just finished off with the concept of reward and punishment. It says, oh, do you want to know how to get to reward and punishment? Anticipate Mashiach. Realize that you will never ever, there's a relationship going on over here. You and God, there's an internal covenant. Forever and ever and ever and ever, nothing will ever happen that you will divorce yourself from God because there's always a way for tshuva. There's always a way for you coming back. Now, now we have to understand the idea of of longing, anticipating, awaiting for Mashiach. Why do we have to await for Mashiach? Why do we have to long for Mashiach? We know Mashiach is going to come. You understand the question? This is a very important question. So we know that, that, that there's a concept of Mashiach. So let's say you know it. But what if you don't anticipate it? You don't wait for it? Is that bad? Is that something that's negative? So I want to share with you something about Moshe Goldstein. And he, go, and he goes and he, and, he, and he brings, he starts off with the first for the Gemara and Shabbat. Shabbat page 31a. It says when you get up to heaven, they ask you a few questions. Very important concept to know, right? Don't you want to know the first, you know, people go for an interview. You want, okay, what are they going to ask me? You want to prep for your interview, right? You're like, okay, are they going to ask me about this? Are they going to ask me about this? What do I need to know about it? When you get to heaven, don't you want to know, how are they going to interview you? Like, what are the first questions they're going to ask you? Why do you want to watch that? Why do you? <laughs> yeah, give us some, which is very true, which is, by the way, it's very related. I had, um, I don't know if I should say, I don't know if I should share with this, but, 
But I got a shidduch call for someone. Was it yesterday? I don't know. Days are blurred for me, right? It was sometime in the recent future, in the recent past. I'm not a prophet. I don't know the future. Um, and they, you know, so they, so so they ask different things about, you know, about it's 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 almost like a. It's almost like a like a, when you sit in front of a job interview. Like, okay, can you tell me about this person? And be like, no, I can't. Can you ask me particular questions? I'm like, what am I? Am I a soulmate? I don't know this person. I mean, I could tell you a little bit about it. I hate that question. If you were to describe this person, how would you describe this person? A Jew. And be like, because I mean, listen, I played this game a long time ago. We could play this game all day long. Be like, so I had something very fascinating about if you were if you know how like you go on an interview and they would tell you. He had one negative quality. What it would be? What do usually people say? Like I'm a perfectionist, you know, like whatever. Something like, well, I'm too organized. Yeah, I'm too perfect. I don't know. Like it just drives me crazy. Like I work too much. You know, like yeah, like you know, like no one ever says, well, you know, like I have a drug problem. You know, like you know, like I hate working. I love. Forget about it. I literally talk bad about my, you know, my boss all the time. Yeah. Oh, next question, please, and be like, oh, we'll we'll get back to you, and oh, we'll think about it. You know, like so. I had this this you know this conversation with the chef. Can you tell me something negative about this person? In a non lashon hara aspect, I'm like, I'm like, I don't know which way I have to scratch my ear in this thing. Can you, you know, like I'm like, you know, like, but they phrased it in such a nice way. I actually gave them props. I'm like, you know what? I give you credit for that because like I've never gotten that before. Like. They did. They did. They went through a whole. I don't have the time. To, I don't want to get into it. It was a long conversation. They really. They, they built it. I don't want to. First of all, why don't I want to say nice? Because I don't want to give anybody ideas. Uh, but also, be, the, the, yeah. <laughs> so, um, be like, you know, like, can you tell me something? You know, like, uh, you know, I've, I've had questions like, would you let your own son and daughter date this person? So, you know, like, it's a good question. It'll be like, depending on my son and daughter, depending on what they are and where they're holding and what this person. You know, there's a, there's a lot. I mean, I mean, like. People think that they're going to get the best questions. Like I've been, I've been through this phone conversation so many times. I'm like, you know, I dare you. I, I'll take you on. I'll challenge accept it. Bring it on. Like whatever you're going to throw at me, I'm going to throw it back at you. So confusing that you're not going to know where you came from. Um, but I give the honest, the you know, the honest opinion of you know of the person. So in any case, the speaking about questions that they ask you, shidduchim, job at what are they going to ask you when you get to heaven? What is the job? You know, like. You're getting up there after 120, Merit Hashem. You know, you're getting up with them. Be like, have a few questions for you. Don't you want to prep for that? Don't you want to know what it was? So, the first question they ask is, did you did you deal business honestly? Did you deal honestly in business? Um, whole conversation. We're not going to get into it because of the time. Next question they ask is, kavata itim Right? Did you set separate delegated, you know, designated times for Torah study. Did you go and you study Torah? Then it's a sakta b'piliyavirivah. Did you go and you, and you indulge, did you go and deal with procreation? By the way, this also is resulted according to, you know, many rabbis. Did you help people get shiduchim? Did you help people get married? Did you help people that need to get married, get married? And then, they go and they ask, tzepita Yeshua. Did you anticipate, did you await salvation? Meaning, that not only is this the 13 principles of faith, that did you await from Mashiach? This is one of the first questions that they ask you when you get up to heaven after 120. Did you await from Mashiach? So if you didn't realize how important this is, you should realize how important this is right now. Like to the to think that this makes it the top questions that they ask you. Did you await from Mashiach? Now the question is, why do we? Why is the whole idea of longing for Mashiach? Why do we have to wait for Mashiach? What well, what is this concept? If if you go and you tell 
usually you would say this to a child, but even you tell this to an adult, we're going to go, I'm going to take you on a, on a vacation overseas, it's going to be an amazing vacation. Did you, do you have to tell that person, you know, do you anticipate the vacation? Are you waiting for the vacation? Be like, are you kidding me? I'm counting down the days. He has a calendar, she has a calendar. She's like, you know, 10 days to my vacation. You know, 15 days that I'm going to Bermuda, Israel. I mean, sorry, whatever. Uh, Cancun. Right, so I'm 16 days, I'm going to something spiritual. I'm going somewhere spiritual. You know, you're going and you're counting down because you're anticipating it. Why is, you know, you don't have to tell a child, you know, who says that you're going on vacation, you know, are you anticipating? Of course anticipating. They're crazy, they're excited, they're, they're, they're waiting for it. So what is the whole concept of waiting for Mashiach? When somebody goes and waits for something, it really tells them who they are as a person. So there's some people that you say you're going on vacation, they're going to dread it. It's like, I just want to learn Torah. It's like, oh, I want to go on vacation. I want to sit in the Beth Midash. I want to go and I want to sit and learn Torah. I got to go on vacation right now. There are people that haven't gone on vacation for 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years. All they care about is the Torah. So they say, so it tells a lot about you what you anticipate for, what you wait for, what you long for. It tells a lot about who you are as a person. Now, what, when you go and you think about the concept of realizing that there's the Mashiach and realizing there is an end date, there's a purpose for the whole creation, all of a sudden there's a thought that pops into your mind, and that should pop into your mind, is that the whole purpose of everything is not physical. It's spiritual. There is a spiritual aspect that the physical realm is, is irrelevant. It's a sp- it's spiritual realm that's really the, the, imp- the important part of it. And in fact, the Torah teaches us that the purpose of the world, the whole purpose of it, is the, machi- the messianic era is the actualization of the creation of the world. That is, the, that, that is the purpose of it all. So now, when we start thinking about it, we start realizing the world is temporary. So you know that there's people that think about, you know, like, well, some people, they should, people, th- death. When you think about death, and it's a good thing, it's not a depressing, morbid, it is depressing and morbid, but it's a good thing. Because when you think about death, you start appreciating. You start appreciating what do you, what do you live as, as in, in your life? What is important? What is not important? What is necessary? What is unnecessary? There's a different ideas that come into your mind when you realize the, the, the temporary, you know, factor of this world. Now, when somebody goes and realizes that this world is only a temporary thing, their whole life changes. And, and it's crazy because I'm, I'm telling you right now, when you leave this class today, if you think about this as a temporary world, things that you're worried about now, all right, it was a big deal. You know, like things, you know, like I have a deal, a situation at work. You have a situation with your friend. I'm like, who cares? You know, like who cares to a certain extent if you realize everything, you know, everything is temporary. Uh, there were many rabbis that they lived as if every day is their last day alive. Can you imagine living that? So ordinary people, the second that you think about it, be like, that's very depressing. I would not be able to live that, right? You'll be hugging and crying and kissing all your relatives every single day, right? And you'll be like doing chuba every single day. And you'll be like the best person every single day. Really like a horrible thought to have, right? Like you'd be like a good person, like a difficult, right? For us to comprehend that, that concept of like doing the right thing. But there are many, many rabbis, they lived as, and the truth is, is everybody should be living every day as if, you're last, as if it is your last day. Think about it. What would you have changed differently today if you realized it was your last day in in the world? Isn't that a scary concept? Isn't that like a crazy thing? Like you wouldn't have got upset if you, you know, got some sort of situation at work. You wouldn't have got upset, probably wouldn't have been at work, but you wouldn't have had a situation (laughs) if you, uh, it's a different concept, right? You wouldn't have had a, you know, a a thing if, you know, your spouse did something to you. You, it's a different world. Like imagine how happy you would be if you would be like, you know, I'm speaking to people that are in the dating world, right? Um, and people are like not sure. Going to break up with the guy, not going to break up with the guy, break up with the girl. You know, like not sure. But the second that they made up their mind, it's going. They're going to end it. There's a certain like peace that they have. Even if they're going on a date that day, they're like happy. They're like it's raining, and they're like, 
this is great. You know, like, you know what's going on? Yeah, we have to talk. Yeah, but like, like, look at the raindrop. Like, it's amazing. Like, all of a sudden you're happy because you're like, you realize there's some sort of clarity that comes that you know that that comes to you. You realize what you want, what you need. There's a certain clarity if you think about it and you realize and you internalize the fact that this world is temporary. This world is only is is minuscule at, at best. The Pekeavot in the second chapter says that the Rabbi Leza says that you have to repent the day one day before your death. Right? Good. Good information, right? Repent one day before this. So the student asks him, how do we know when we're going to die? He's like, yeah, that's true. So repent every single day. Make believe every single day is your last. And that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to repent every single day because you never know if it's your last. You really never know if you're last. You open the news and you realize how people who never ever thought that it would be their last day, it was their last day. Every single day, you open up the news, you could read something like that. That's the scary thing about it. That there's so many people, we think that we're going to live until 120. Maybe we all live until 120 with health, happiness, success, and everything. But when you think about it, like imagine it's a, your last day. What would you do differently? Would you call your mother and say, hey, I love you? Would you tell your spouse, you know, I appreciate everything that you've done? Would you tell God, thank you for everything that you've given me? Would maybe you become a better person? Like you realize the concept of how much it would change in your life if it would be your last day. Now let's take that and spin that 180 degrees. Imagine it's your first day of your life. Imagine today's the first day of your life. Would that change anything? You know how people go and be like, well, if I knew how important what school was, I would have been really good. I'm really studious. And I would have done this. And I would have done that. Everyone says, I would have, would have, would have. And in 10 years down the line, you would say, I would have, would have, would have. And what your age you are right now. And 20 years down the line, you'll say, what well, you, you know. Every, so, so imagine that today is your first day. What do you have to think about it as your last day, but also as your first day? Would you change anything? Now, there's something I've spoken about before, and I quote this from my wife, uh, who I give credit to for the best, you know, uh, the most important, you know, concept that, I, that I've ever heard. But if you have a difficult decision, right? If you have a difficult decision and you want to know what to do, fast forward in your life and then look back and then think about what would you say would be the right decision to do? What would you regret doing? What would you not regret doing? Meaning that if you have a, you're not sure about to do something, what, what, what you want to do. Fast forward 20 years down the line and say, okay, if I look back, what would I more appreciate doing? Now I guarantee you, if somebody goes, or even deathbed, even your deathbed, uh, that you go and you say, okay, listen, should I have gone to class that day? Should I listen to a Torah class? Or should I have watched a uh, cat video? Like what would you would have appreciated? What would you have regretted more? Would you have regretted watching World's Funniest Cats? Or if you, you know, watch something from, you know, an Torah class, what would you think about it? Like it would change your decisions that you make today. And this was all nice. This was great. I've been speaking about this for years about this thing. But very, this week, this week I came across a study. I came across a study that researchers came and they, they, they looked for the keys on how to do the right thing. And they came to the same conclusion. They would have spoken to my wife. They would have gotten this a long time ago. Um, but they, they came to the same, and this is how they did the study. Fascinating. So, so amazing. They, they collect a bunch of college students, um, and they go over to them and they say, listen, it says, imagine you're in a scenario that you're, you're financially very tight, and you have to buy a laptop, a computer. And there's a guy who's sitting in the corner, may or may not sit in the corner, um, may or may not have a few earrings, and may or may not do this, and look a few times and say, hey, listen, you want to buy a, I have a Microsoft Surface Pro, right, that's what I'm looking for. I have, a, I have a good computer, right? You want to get it for a quarter of the price, and you look this way and that way, and then you realize that this is probably wrong, and you say, uh, where did you get it from? And he goes, 
He scratches a little bit, and he goes like this, and he says, uh, may or may not have fallen off a truck. I don't know. Don't ask any questions. What are you? The popo? Don't ask any questions. You want it or not? So this is the scenario. This is what they told the college students. And so before you answer that question, they gave him another assignment. He says, I want you, and they split the college students in two groups. And for one group, it says, I want you to write who you were going to be, like write a letter to yourself describing yourself, who you are in 30 years' time. And that's one group. Another group, I want you to write who you are in three months' time. And they all wrote who they were going to be in you know, either three months or 30 years. And then they said, okay, now answer this question. Would you buy that stolen laptop or would you not buy the stolen laptop? And what they saw is that the majority of the people that decided to write about, well, they were told to write about the three months in the future, they would buy the laptop. But the people that wrote 30 years in the future said, I'm not going to buy the laptop. And they started thinking, why? Why is it so different if you're thinking about yourself in the future in three months or you're thinking about yourself in the future in 30 years? And the difference is, is that when you're thinking about yourself in the future in 30 years, you're taking yourself out of the equation. You're taking yourself out of the equation, and you're looking and be like, okay, what would be the right thing to do? When you're looking back in life, you want to know what would be the right thing to do. That's what you want to think. You want to think of yourself in 30 years in the future, you can be an upright person, you can be a good person, you can have a family, you can have business, whatever it is that you want in your life, you can think about it all in the kosher way. No one ever dreams about, yeah, I'm going to rob you know, the Federal Reserve and I'll live always overlooking. You know, you think about it that I'll make my money in a legal way, in a kosher way, and I'll live my life and I'll have a good family in a kosher way. Everything is all good. That's what you anticipate. So the people that went and they looked at the future, they, they saw the good. And they wanted the good, they made the good decisions right now. The people that saw in three months in the future, three months in the future, I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, like, I'm going to die for three months, right? Like, you know, you never started the diet. It's always starting the next day. You know, like, it doesn't, make a, it doesn't change who you are because you're dealing with really right now. When you're dealing far in the future, that all of a sudden you take yourself out of the equation. When you're dealing in the, in the near future, it's still the same person. So, the, you know, the researchers realize is that that when you go and when you, when, when you can really think about a subject, when you can really think about an item and think about it, is it the right thing or is it the wrong thing, then you'll do the right thing. But the question is, once you're in the situation, it's very difficult to do it. But when you're out of the situation, when you're thinking about in the future, when you're thinking about what would you would want to do 20 years in the past, if you would tell somebody, would you, would, would, you know, was it worth it for you to buy a stolen item 20 years ago? They'd be like, no, I, I feel bad about it. Like, you know, like, I supported the thief. You know, like you feel bad about it. So you realize what is the right thing to do and what is a, what is the wrong thing to do. Now let me, let's follow this up with one simple question. How would your life be if you know with 100% clarity and accuracy that tomorrow Mashiach is coming? What would you change today? Isn't that a crazy thought? Like how would you change? You know, some people, when they hear about like, you know, like World War Three is coming, right? Like, you know, there's like so many things like North Korea, whatever it is, everyone to their own. Um, and they'll be like, that's it. The end of the, like, all of a sudden you change yourself. Like, if you realize, if you anticipate Mashiach coming, if you anticipate every single day, that's the same concept as you anticipating the end of days. You're anticipating the, you know, the final, you know, you know, the deathbed. It changes who you are as a person. It changes your decisions today. We started asking the question, why is it so important about Mashiach? Why is it so important? The answer is, it's very simple. It's so important because there's so much, con- there's so much that you're dealing with. There's so much that you have to, that it changes your life today if you anticipate the Mashiach is coming today. It's so, it changes everything that you do. Do you understand that? Fascinating. Question is, Okay, we're going to have to run through it. We've been stretching things out too much, right? Can you guys give me another 10 minutes? Yeah? Uh, regardless, whatever you say, I'm going to continue. <laughs> but if it's late for you, it's late, you hear the rain, you want to go out in the rain, and you want to sing and dance and get wet, then uh, by all means, may all the blessing come on you. Um, meaning is that if you do need to leave and it's any late, 
do what you got to do. Um, okay, but let's go through through this, you know, very quickly. What is the what is the concept of, of waiting, Mashiach? It's a pital You have to wait the Mashiach. Why? Why do we have to wait? So we understand the concept. Mashiach is going to come tomorrow. Why do we have to wait for something? Do you realize if you wait for something, if you really want something, you do something that makes that thing come quicker? Did you ever think about that for a second? If you want to go, you're anticipating a vacation. What do you do? You're shopping six months. If you know you're going on vacation, you're like, well, you know, like, I need this underwater camera for my phone, you know, like, addition for, like, you know, $400, because you never know, like, what's going to happen. And yeah, I probably need, when I'm going to be on a plane, I probably need some, like, sort of contraptions. And you buy the neck pillows, and then you buy the sweatshirts, and you buy this other contraptions, and you come in, and then you buy noise-canceling headphones, because you don't want to hear the noise and the sound. And you're, you're prepared, you're anticipating it. It changes who you are today. You go to the stores, and you, you buy things, you prepare for things. It, it, it changes who you are as of today. So when you anticipate something, it changes who you are today, even if it's for tomorrow. Even if it's for six months, even if it's for a year. Now, there's always a downside to it, downside to it. Because if you anticipate Mashiach, and you can be like, okay, Mashiach is going to come, blah, 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 you know, then, then you could just say, you know, like, okay, so why do I really need to work? You know, like, do I really need to do anything? Mashiach is coming tomorrow. So, like, you, it, it goes to your benefit, and it goes to the, it goes to the negative, as, you know, as well. So, you know, the, there are people that say, okay, you know, I'm not going to deal with the problems that I have to deal with. I'll deal with it when Mashiach comes. I don't want to have to deal with it. I'll deal with it then. So, there's good and bad to that, depending on your problem. Some problems you have to deal with today, and some problems you're right. No, wait for Mashiach. Nothing to do with you. It's all in God's hands. But this leads us to the final concept of why do we want Mashiach? Like, why do? That's how we start off this, this thing. Why do we want Mashiach? What is the purpose of Mashiach? The purpose of Mashiach is what? Is that we could, not that you could get revenge on everybody that you want. The purpose of Mashiach is that you have the free, the freedom to go and involved in the godly pursuits and the worldly and the Torahic pursuits that you always wanted to do. You always wanted to do. If you don't know that yet, but deep down, you always wanted to do this. This is what you really, this is the whole purpose of it. That you could go and do the things that you were supposed to, that you are created in this world to do it. And the times of Mashiach, you know, the Chazal, the sages tell us, the capitalists tell us that there's going to be speakers, there's going to be leaders, there's going to be rabbis. They're going to go and they're going to try to, you know, bring you people back to Chuba, bring people to go back to it. And then you're going to have two separate groups of people. There are groups of people, obviously you could spread it down to thousands of groups of people, but if we could be very broad, two groups of people. People that decide, you know what, you're right, I have to do Chuba. I have to change my life, because what, what is going to be if Mashiach comes tomorrow? You realize, Mashiach comes tomorrow, it's game over. You can't be like, well, Mashiach's here, okay, you know, like, God, I'm sorry for, like, blah, 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 blah. You know, all the things they did. No, no, no. If you, once Mashiach comes, it's game over. There's no, the, the, the amount of free will that says Mashiach comes is going to come. The, the Satan is going to be shakted, it's going to be slaughtered. You're not going to have the, the, you know, the, the, the concept of, like, wanting to do bad. You have to fix yourself before Mashiach comes. Before Mashiach comes, that's when you go in, when you fix yourself. So before Mashiach comes, it's going to be, a lot of rabbis, a lot of leaders, they're going to go and say, guys, you have to do tshuva, guys, you have to fix yourself, guys, you have to go on the right path. And there are people going to be like, you know what, you're right, I do have to go on the right path. And they're going to go on the right path. And there are going to be people of little faith. They're going to say, you know, like, eh, like, eh you know, it hasn't come yet. Uh, you know, worry about it when it comes. And the, depending on who you decide, which group are you going to be? Are you going to be in the group that's going to capitalize? It's going to realize that there's an opportunity over here. There is something that I need to do over here that's going to make me Regardless of Mashiach is going to come tomorrow, you know, you know, tonight, regardless of whatever is going to come, it's going to make me a better person. Am I going to capitalize that or am I going to be like, eh, you know, I'll do the therapy in a year, you know, when I decide to do it. Do you decide now or do you decide, you decide later? So, I think I said that was the last concept. There's one more last concept I want to, I want to speak about it. So when you anticipate Mashiach coming, that means you're doing something to make Mashiach come. So let's finish off very quickly. How do you make Mashiach come? 
how do you make Mashiach come? Like you, you want it to come, so you want it to come quicker. So what do you do? What do you do to make it come quicker? So there's a few things we'll go through very quickly. Number one is tshuva, repent. Become a better Jew, period. That's what you need to do if you want to make Mashiach come. What, you know, like the, the Pasuk in, in Tehilim, chapter 95, verse 7, it says that redemption will come hayom im pikolo tishmu'u. When it's going to come, it's going to come today if you listen to God. If you listen to God, that's when a redemption, that's when a redemption is going to come. Now, the age, you know, people don't, we don't think about our consequences. It's, it, by the way, this is, reflects our relationships. This reflects our, and everything and anything reflects it. We don't think about the concept. People do things and they do things and then they talk to themselves that's not such a bad, you know, that's not, that's not so bad. They steal, they're modest, they look at whatever they want, they learn Torah, they don't keep Shabbat, they don't keep kosher, they don't do anything what they want and they convince themselves, don't worry about it, it's okay. Cognitive distance, whatever it is that they deal with. This is the way the evil inclination works. The evil inclination works that it burdens people's hearts with constant thought process that has nothing to do with spirituality. It's a constant, the, the day that we, the life and age, the day and age that we're living in is that Everything is so instant. Today, I was dealing, I was on the computer, and I was with somebody, and, you know, uh, when the computer was, it did the loading sign, you know, and then when you click the loading sign twice, you know, it's like a computer has an attitude, (laughs) not responding. I'm not talking to you anymore now. You you don't think I, I need my time to take care of myself. You want to click it a thousand times? I'm not talking to you right now. I'm not responding, right? Um, So the computer's not responding, and I'm like, are you serious? And then, for a second, and then, like a second later, I told the person I was with, I was like, look at me. You know, like, I have something that I could do a bazillion things for a second. And that's not a real word, but whatever. Right? You could do so many things for a second. And I have the world on my fingertips. And I'm upset. I'm frustrated. The fact that it's taking it a third of a second to go faster. Or three seconds, God forbid. They're like, I need a new computer. Are you kidding me? Three cycles. Are you kidding me? Three, three seconds to wait for something in our day and age? If you go and you pay for a high-speed internet and all of a sudden you decide you want to go on torrentanytime.com because that's what you do in your free time and you want to watch a class and you want to watch a class and all of a sudden it's loading. What's loading? In our day and age, loading? Are you kidding me? You call up your provider be like, I'm, you know, I should be getting you know, a, a, a thousand megabits per second download. And a, how is it that I have to loading? And be like, what, did you wait three seconds? And be like, yeah, I waited three seconds, but three seconds. No, three seconds. I could watch a three-second cat video for three seconds. Like, what? Three seconds? Are you kidding? We're getting so frustrated because the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, boggles our mind that every single second we're bothered by something. We're doing something. Do you ever think about it? That, that, you know, you have people driving, walking, commuting to work. You have an opportunity to listen to a Torah class or to listen to music. Now, I'm not saying don't listen to music, whatever. Do whatever it is that you got to do. But the fact that you never listen to a Torah class while you're going to work, while you're driving to work, you're walking. You're commuting from, your, from the class to your house. So, Chazak you guys came to that class, it's very good, that's great. But what are you doing while you're way home? Why not listen to some Torah class? Isn't this interesting? Don't you guys find it? It's fascinating. Torah is amazing. Like, so why wouldn't you entertain yourself? Because we could call it entertaining in you know, this, this day and age. My rabbi told me that when I speak, I have to be entertaining. Otherwise, people are not going to be interested. You know, so like, you know, I got to listen to your rabbis, right? So I try. So uh, you, Torah classes nowadays are entertaining. So what is the excuse that, no, you listen to uh, music, or you listen to not, you know, you, we have so much at our fingertips, but the evil inclination says, no, 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 you got to do this, you got to do that. You gotta, it keeps us busy with nonsense. You ever think about it at the end of the day, you get home, be like, what did I do today? And be like, I went shopping. Wait, is that all that I did in the past 16 hours? Like, I ate something. I got upset at the guy who was cutting me off. And be like, you know, you think about it, like, what did you accomplish today? Yeah, it's like a scary thought. Like, you know, like, 
So think live today as if today's your last. Think about it like, what did you do today? Like, what did you accomplish? Think about it in the next world. Like, what can you check off? Be like, yeah, this is a good deed. I prayed. Okay, good. I made a blessing. Good. Okay, that's great. I dressed modestly. Good. I went to Torah class. Great. Amazing. Probably the best. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, like, all great, amazing things that you did. But, like, think about it. Like, what if you did nothing? And be like, yeah, a marathon of, like, useless stuff that I wasted on online. Like, what did you do today? Like, th- it, it changes who you're like. That is what the the... The, um, the evil inclination does. And this is what the Mesilat Sharim in second chapter says, you, you know, it burdens people. The, the evil inclination burdens people that doesn't let you have the ability to go and do anything. And if you think 20 years down the line, what are you going to be happy with? Oh, that you went and you saw, uh, you know, a certain clip, you saw a certain TV show, you saw a certain movie, that's going to be like, yeah, yeah, I feel really good about that. You know, like, those cat videos really did a number of me. Yeah, we're going to go back on that. And, you know, like, this is so, like, really, that's, or you can be like, no, you know what? I went to Torah class. I changed my life. I became a better person who I am. That's what you're going to look back after 20 years, 30 years, after 120 years and be like, you know what? This is what I appreciate. You know, like, so what if the rabbi went a little bit over the time and it was a little bit late? You know, like, so what if you had to stay a little bit later? But, like, look how much you could appreciate the Torah that's being taught every single second. Got to throw that in because I'm a little bit late. Um, so... The finishing off um, that the Chavetz Chaim says that the greatest reckoning that a person has to give at 120 is why he didn't give a reckoning every day of his life. The greatest reckoning is why you didn't give a reckoning. That's what the greatest. That's the greatest thing that when you cut after 120, it says like, why did you check yourself? If you own a business, you see, are you making money or are you not making money? In the spiritual business world, are you making money or you're not making money? Are you doing things that you're supposed to be doing or are you not doing things that you're supposed to be doing it? This is why, you know, in today's day and age, you know, we're in the chuba movement. We don't have the time to, to speak about it. There's a lot to speak about it. But, like, you know, you have a, a lot of people capitalizing on this. They're going and they're changing their life. Let's go very quickly in the last, uh, you know, four things that we want to go. Number, to hasten the Mashiach, to bring the Mashiach, is the, the second thing is, the first thing we said is chuba. The second thing is Shabbat. You keep Shabbat. The, the Chazal, the sages tell us, the Medras tells us that if someone keeps, if the, if the entire Jewish nation keeps Shabbat, that's Mashiach is going to come. Number three, Torah study. It says, Talmud Torah keneged kulam. If you, the Torah study is as if, learning Torah is, 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 is as if you did all the mitzvot. It's so important. So you want to bring Mashiach, these are the things that you're supposed to do. Also, you should give tzedakah. It also says the Gemara in Baba Batra, uh, you know, is a page 9a, says that if, that, that also charity is also compared to all the mitzvot. They're all the, so when you give charity. And finally, the final thing that we want to go on, and now we're, we're speaking about something that I can speak about for hours, I'm speaking about it in literally less than 30 seconds, is the unity of the Jewish nation. Then we know that the, 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 Destruction of the second temple came because Sinat Kinam. It came for baseless hatred. So you want to fix that? Love every Jew unconditionally. Love every Jew. We got to want to fix that. We got to love, love, love everybody unconditionally. You fix the baseless hatred, then we fix the, uh, the reason why we're in the exile. Then we have the Beard called Sedek Ben Amen. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.